Hello, beautiful friends. This is Claire and the Art of Life podcast. I'm transmitting from the top back of the art house under the ground in the medieval quarter of Guardia San Fremondi. And we've just got our first heat wave of real summer uh, with all the insects in tow. And I'm starting to appreciate the cool of the house. Not as a hindrance, but as a, an asset <laughs> as the summer um, comes through. Um, through through everything, through the streets, slowly encroaching into the rocks and the earth and the underground spaces even. But yeah, this lovely, lovely, cool space that is the top back room behind the kitchen that I use for my podcasting. Um, I'm also experimenting with a, a personal note <clears throat> inside my Signal app, which I'm hoping will function for a long enough voice file that I can then download and upload into a podcasting platform. Still waiting to hear from Fountain Podcasts about transferring my um connecting, claiming claiming my podcast on their platform. It's an interesting fact that we have to claim what's ours when we created it and we have to go jump through hoops to get to what we created that has been hoovered up into the system somehow. I didn't upload it to Fountain. I didn't sign a contract with them. Nevertheless, it seems like an interesting platform and as such... Um, I'm trying to communicate with them to get them to upload it. <clears throat> Certainly seems interesting that it has a lot of radical rooted folks talking about the truth, which is great. Um, talking about real health, real environmental values, um, decentralisation of power, resources, attention. So yeah, I feel like I'm in good company there and I'd like to get at least one more mainstream platform that does reward us directly until I can bridge this being out in the wilderness with being connected with the heart of the community and with the people that I speak to. So on that note, let's dive in. I've been creating this series, what on earth is really happening right now? You know, what on earth is really going on right now? Or what the fuck is going on right now? More to the point. <laughs> But I'm trying to speak about it in a, a non-polemic and as, as panoramic a view as I can because I have a good panoramic view of the world. And I also have a highly sentient, sensory perception of the world and I want to speak always about our co-creative capacity, like what our co-creative potential is in the world, in our world, in our realm of influence, which is actually infinite. Even if we don't know it, it is infinite. It radi radiates out, ripples out into the universe, into the cosmos and has an effect beyond, way beyond this physical body and way beyond the things that we're physically touching around us. And I'm always trying to speak to what we can do about being more conscious, more ethical, more environmentally harmonious in what we're sharing. So today I want to speak to... Uh, I suppose, I'm not sure where it'll go because I, I always speak very spontaneously, but I've had this sense of wanting to speak to 
more to this subject of bookmaking and book writing, book creation, publishing, that I was just speaking with Vincent Nyman, Hypersensitivosaurus, on his podcast about. And I would like um, to try and speak a little, I spoke quite openly about my, my story of books and bookmaking, which literally goes back to when I was preschool, not preschool as in kindergarten, preschool as in before I was schooled in any way outside of the home, meaning at the age of three or so, I read very early and I wasn't as good at writing before I went to school. I had to learn my alphabet, which I was really, I was mortified about the fact that I didn't know the alphabet already, but I could read very, very well. Um, and I was always, always reading and in the unconscious world, uh, like the non-spoken world of silently reading, reading words and taking words in. And I had been consciously thinking in sentences and in, in perfectly sound logical sentences, not baby babble, from pre being pre-verbal. <clears throat> I think I did come to talking quite late, actually. Um, I know for a fact that when I did go to play school, kindergarten, um, preschool, at the age of maybe three or four, I was already very verbally coherent in my own mind. But the reality of um, being thrown in with a, a bunch of rowdy other kids who were at a completely different level of, of um, intellectual capacity was very traumatising for me. It was profoundly um, terrifying for me. Um, sensory overload, uh, chaos and confusion, bright lights, uh, massive open space, a big village hall in Brodick in the village hall. And it was it was very hard for me to uh, operate with all these other people who were these kids who were wilding out essentially and were used to using toys and noisy things to play with, whereas I was much more used to being in the, the natural sounds of nature, being around animals um, and being in the small family, family unit that we had. In any case... Um, I think that has a great deal to do with why I became quiet at that point, why I stopped speaking, perhaps. Pretty sure I was still speaking at home. I don't think I was not speaking at home. I think it was the shock, the cultural shock of kindergarten that made it, uh, gave me a reason to close down myself. And I'm just, I'm just revisiting that because I was really thinking about this fact of what would have happened if you know, if I hadn't made that choice at that time, if I hadn't closed down, if I hadn't done this, if I hadn't done that throughout my education, if I hadn't been so um, crushed by my experience of going to art school in the mainland and my cultural overwhelm and sensory overwhelm of going to the mainland and living in a city for the first time, you know, what would have happened if I decided not to go to art school, if I decided to learn from my life experience instead, which, as I find in leaving art school was profoundly more um, informative and educational than anything that I'd, I couldn't even say that I learned anything at art school. I, I learned what I didn't want to know, what I didn't want to follow, what I didn't want to believe. 
but I certainly didn't wasn't educated in any way or of course the word education is not really about about um what we think it is it's not really about learning or growing or evolving or healing or transforming ourselves or empowering ourselves it's more about oppression and indoctrination and pulling us into a system where we function as part of a mechanical whole and become productive citizens not for the benefit of the spiritual the environmental the cosmic or the collective but um, for the benefit of the machine essentially so although as I'm getting into quite a wide scope in this discussion this sharing um yeah I'm, I'm just coming back to like what what would have happened if I hadn't had that separation happen at all these different parts of my lives because when I recently started talking through the fact that I'm connected through my co-creation sessions and various private dialogues with other co-creators around the world talking about consciousness about life beyond the mainstream decentralized life autonomous life self-sufficient life because I'm in involved in such deep, winding, beautiful, expansive conversations with so many of these beautiful folk that I'm connected with. I was seeing people one after another doing projects. I thought, I should be doing that. Why am I not doing that? Why am I not singing? Why am I not dancing? Why am I not exploring nature unclothed? Why am I not creating books? And especially books, I, I sort of zeroed in on that tangible thing that what happened to me in books? Why is it that I grew up as a voracious reader? I mean, I would read, I would read at least three, four, five, or more books a week when I was at high school, and I, I was like took out the maximum amount of books out the library consistently. And the first place I sought out when I moved to the mainland in the city was charity shops for their cheap books. And libraries, they were the first places I went. You know, I didn't go to the art gallery first <laughs> and um, didn't even go to the pub first or anything else. So probably not even the supermarket to get food. Probably went to the library first. But how is it that my love of books has does not exist in the same way? Well, yeah, living in rural Italy where I can't get English-speaking books is such is certainly a, a factor you know that's just a, bit, a big glaring factor that because I don't have that a constant turnover of books and a, a constant access to new books but even that isn't the truth because there's actually a book exchange on my very street even though it doesn't have it's only got the English books I've given them basically <laughs> but um something happened recently where I've stopped making books and I've stopped reading books and that's it's important to recognize the place of technology replacing things that we previously did like handwork and creating for ourselves and that we're consuming other people creating stuff in pixels and on screen rather than connecting directly to the world through the tangibility of touching things and learning through our hands um learning through cerebral hook into overstimulation is not the same thing as reading a book. It's not the same thing as writing a book or even 
using a typewriter rather than a um, word processing tool like documents and keyboards and then saving a document and printing it out. The, the way our attention, our capacity to, to write by hand has been pulled into technology and it's seen as something that's making things easier for us. You know, it's so much easier to write a sentence in a document on a screen than it is to type clack clack and then make a mistake and then have to tip X it out or use whitener to paint it out and then go on, um, especially as a, a young child using a typewriter. It was definitely held back the creative flow. But when I look at how I literally blinkered myself off from what I've achieved in books and what I've done in writing, um, it's not necessarily, I'm, I'm not trying to get into the negative of like, oh my God, I forgot that I'd done books and, I, and they, they're all just sitting there in a pile on the, on the shelf gathering dust and they're not getting published and they're not going out in the world and I'm not getting into the handmade of them anymore. It feels like a really important process that I've been through of taking apart what the book is, what it represents, what even language represents, and and how it pulls us in, hooks us in, what are the conventional structures of books, the conventional structures of story, the conventional presumptions about beginning and end of things, and what is the actual container that I want to contain. And, and one of the things... It, the actual container that I want to use to hold my work that that properly holds it, that properly contains in the most simple and solid way, like a set of book covers, but then allows the thing to flow. Like I've made various attempts in my life at writing longer books, writing big books, and then have got completely stuck on the size of it. It gets to a certain size, usually about 50, 60 or 80,000 words, and then I, I can't actually get my head around it so I have to break it into smaller chapters obviously but then the chapters seem to sort of peter out and I can't, I just can't get like the complexity of what I want to say needs the time to unravel in a living spontaneous way basically which is one of the reasons that I, I started developing podcasts and spoken form of chapters spoken form of courses of transmissions of an art school and that means that I am keeping this going but I'm keeping this book idea going but I still feel like I've lost something something has been blinkered out of because I'm using a different part of my brain rather than being able to focus and I think it is a question of focus the the question of being able to focus long enough to create a painting is a very a highly honed skill and I'm really good at that and I'm cultivating currently my mastery, my year of mastery in needlework. I'm also cultivating that in needlework. But this other love that I've had that I, that I really want to weave in with those things and that somehow ties into them all, the spoken word, the vibration of the body, the energy coming up the spine from rooted connection with all things, connection with Gaia Sophia, flourishing up and expanding through the throat, through vibration into the world, breaking the dream spell, unravelling things that are blocking our power and our voice. 
um, the hands are really important for that. The feet are important for that. And the, the face and the mouth and the throat are really important for that. These are all ways that we connect along with our rootedness and our what's called sexuality, which I've taken apart in various other podcasts and courses that I've created. We're not meant to be locked into tight little formats is what I'm getting to here. And the fact that we allow ourselves to be means that, yes, on the one hand, it suggests to us or it hooks us in with the idea that we can commodify what we're creating and then the commodified object can go out in the world and allow us to be freer because it will will be rewarded financially. And then we'll, you know, this like, <laughs> this complete fallacy that then we'll be free. But of course, the reality of writing a book, putting it into a format that a publisher would accept, is that it's a profoundly contrived thing. There's very few people in the world who can really do that and who are going to meet the criteria of a publishing house. And the idea, the whole idea of self-publishing and the, the lure of self-publishing on the outside is this incredible golden egg moment where we think, oh, all I have to do is get down what's in my mind onto a piece of paper, a document, not even a piece of paper, a document. I then send through the the internetiverse and out it pops at the other side as a book. Um, somebody prints it for me on demand. I get some test copies and then I send it out to the world. I buy it at a low price, sell it at a higher price and glean all the profit of that thing in the middle. Um, you know, the difference between what it cost me to print it and what it actually costs somebody to, to get it to their doorstep. Yeah, it's such a such a tempting, lovely um, chocolate egg <laughs> that we get offered about this. Or maybe I should say a chocolate teapot, as we say in Scotland, um, but as useful as a chocolate teapot. Such a nice idea, eating a chocolate teapot, but not making a cup of tea in it. That's not a good idea. And the self-publishing thing has all kinds of um well pitfalls essentially very hard to do on a small budget even though it seems to be designed for folk on a small on a small budget costs a huge amount for postage being printed in another country it's really handy if you live right next to the place that's printing them but most of these places are literally overseas like very far away in a massive factory where you know, it's centralised essentially. So our creativity is going into a format that can then be digested and printed in their formats that they offer for for this very low price. And then the the quality, the quality of what is being presented, but then how it has to get translated into a lower quality paper, a lower qual quality colour print, much more expensive to get a colour copy throughout the book. Um. You know, at the end of the day, the, the final book and and my friends have had similar stories, have said the similar things. The, the book that's arrived on their doorstep, you know, there's this, it's not the same as finishing a painting. It's not the same as finishing a handwritten text or a handbound book where the feeling is of this profound satisfaction of hours spent. 
you know, this company are taking money from us to print it and ship it to us with the idea that we then have all this time saved, all this energy saved from not sitting there with the needle and thread ourselves, not sitting there with the paper, not having to source the paper ourselves. And yet, mm, is it more satisfying to get the book? Is it the same satisfaction? Is it the same quality? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It is not. <laughs> it's not anything of the genre. Uh, genere? Niente del genere. It's nothing of the sort. Nothing of that kind. The handmade, the handmade books that I've made over the years that are still in my possession are profoundly rich objects of living line, living hand-drawn line and words that that's, have multiple meaning for me. Like they don't change in their meaning. Uh, sorry, they do change in their meaning. They, um, I'm just trying to put the analogy together because I'm I'm trying to compare it with the printed books that I've had printed and how they're not the same as the paintings. And yet people will equate the art that they see in books, pictures of art, they'll equate that with the art and say that that is the art. But of course, seeing a painting in pixels or seeing a, painted print, a painting printed in a book is a profound, even just the size of it, you know, the loss of detail, the loss of brushstroke is a profound degeneration of what the thing is. It's a, pr a profound diminishment of what the thing is. And equally, the handwritten word, every single handwritten letter and word and curl of every letter, straight lines by hand that are not as straight, every letter that is written, that is typed instead of being hand typed, has a completely different energy about it and is much more open to... having the interpretation fixed and changed. And that's something that equates also to... I'm, I'm using a pointy finger here. I'm wagging my finger whilst I'm talking. I hope you appreciate this. I just want to emphasise here <laughs> what's going on with my hands here. The, the equation or how it equates the diminishment of our creative power into a format that supposedly is allowing it to go out more widely in the world... I really feel that that's a trick that we've been pulled into and I'm not trying to be overly radical although I am talking from radicale rooted radici I'm talking from a rooted place of being very connected <clears throat> very rooted in the earth and in the planet and in the cosmos very branched up into the cosmos I know that allowing our work, even allowing books to become what they have become, cheap things on cheap paper printed out cheaply and sold to us at actually quite a high price because they have to get a profit, of course, the printers, don't they? And then us asking even more money of our customer for it. That whole dynamic, you know, supposedly leaves us free to sit with our feet up. But then <clears throat> most of us are not freed by that. <clears throat> when most of us are hooked into the next layer of that, which is then distribution, selling, publicising online, going round and round in circles, fighting with algorithms and not getting seen online and having a tiny audience and so on and so on and so on. And 
everything like gets diminished further and further and further the further down the road we go with this and I've seen folk you know I've seen the amount of folk I know who've self-published and then the energy isn't in the book like the energy of the initial sharing of the character of the person of the story of the person isn't necessarily transmitted I think in the past it was transmitted better because of the quality of books the quality of type even the quality of the size of the book the fact that you could carry it around with you there was a quality in the choice in the selection the editing and the selection of the stories but because of how technology has sort of overtaken us and we've been given this fallacy of we can choose like infinite choice which is actually completely contrived choice about things that we don't actually need or want when ultimately the real choice the the real choice of fully expressing ourselves in this lifetime is completely diminished i really feel that in in my own story of of what i originally loved about books what i originally was drawn to creating books it was a natural format of handwriting hand drawing hand binding a book a jotter using an old school jotter and filling it with words binding fixing gluing cutting paper using scissors and card and even collaging and even making cards and christmas cards and pop-up cards there's the creativity in our marrying with technology so so bound so arranged marriage that we have with technology where it's sort of been thrown at us and we've been thrown into it and we have sort of fallen into it fully and not really recognised what we're falling into and not really stepped back from it since it started. Yeah, it was a big thing for me to suddenly start looking at what is my story with books, what is my relationship with books and why am I not reading books anymore? Although I am starting just here and there, having some books from Sergio's house and picking up some books in the second-hand shop and getting Lent books and magazines and... I can feel the whole thing starting to to get life back in it. Now that I recognise the road that I've gone down, recognise that what I've done to stagnate my own work, um, and yeah, the 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 final thing that was that I realised had completely knocked the whole thing on the head, or like nipped the whole thing in the bud for me, was having my books stolen by Amazon. It was extraordinary, like, how did Amazon get my books when I didn't agree for them to be sold through Amazon? But of course, there's buttons and small print on the printing company that I used, and it must have got in there somehow, and then it just hasn't been taken out. But, yeah, spending vast amounts of time the last couple of weeks trying to get my books taken down off Amazon and being shunted around from one department to another, giving them shitloads of information, which... I didn't want to give them and I don't consent to giving them, but I ha- I supposedly am being told that I have to give them this information. I, I mean, I'm the same woman living at the same address. What more information do you need apart from this, that that's who the book is by? You know, I have the original document of the book. I have the original, I have all the, you know, if it was a, a case in court, I have all the copyrighted work because I created the work. And it's my copyright. It's very clear. I 
have the full information about all the development, the folders and folders and folders of the development of the book that show that I made it. It's very, very clear. It's my name on the cover. It doesn't matter if I've changed my name. That's the name on my passport and it's on the cover of the book. I'm sorry, what more information do you need? It's a book about this town which I live in. There's no other Claire Galloway who lives in this town who, <laughs> come on, you know, who has who happens to be the protagonist of the international community and so on. So like the idea that I would have to run round in circles proving who I am, Ian, that's really wrong. But of course, they're in this, they're in this system where everything's so automated and everyone's so stuck in their algorithm and stuck in their little box that they literally, you know, letter after letter after letter, email after email, I mean, saying, expounding on how sorry they are that they can't do anything when they work for an organisation, a corporation that is stealing my creative work, apologising that they too are creative people and that they... would hate it if their work was stolen but all you have to do is this you know all you have to do is this and of course I do this I do this I do this I do this do it like five ten times but after the tenth time no this is not my work this is your work you are committing a crime you are protecting a corporation and you are working in the machinations that protect a corporation who are stealing creative work that is wrong that is there is no other way around it. That is a crime. It's, but of course, in their minds, it's just, oh, it's just this unfortunate glitch. And if you would just like run another hundred kilometres for us. But of course, I'm a sovereign woman. Yeah, I gave them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I did some work trying to sort it all out. But of course, no, I'm absolutely not doing any more work for you. You can all go and run and take a hike or go and whistle for it and... I'm telling you what you've done wrong. It's on you. It's your karma. Karma will come to you. The retribution will come to you. Everything balances out. I've done my best to get the work taken down and it isn't being taken down and I'm just being absolutely taken for a taken for a ride, basically. Um, but going through the process of that was an important process, claiming what's trying to claim what's mine, but recognising that the system has it locked in there to such a degree that to to go through their machinations to get it would be at such a cost to me, which sort of unveiled the whole thing to me. It was it was all at a great cost, getting those books into, <clears throat> uh, even into a PDF or a, a, a document for publishing, a publishing document. That was a huge amount of work, huge amount of work. So it's not like, you know, I do have the sense that back in the day when we were clack, clack, clacking on a typewriter, or handwriting a book, you know, that would be the work that we did. We did that work, then we would hand it over to somebody. We wouldn't be self-publishing. We wouldn't be hand-drawing books. We would be handing it over to a printmaker and a publisher, and they would do the work for us. And that's what it's masquerading at as just now, but it's not being, it's, it's not doing what it says or what it sort of is masquerading as doing. And in the end, there's, it's designed to pull people into the illusion that they can be a published author and somehow it will magically go into the world. But of course, then we are responsible also for the distribution, which in the old days would be the publisher and the publisher having relationships with bookshops. And of course, now bookshops are so few and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the whole thing is the idea is being sold to us that we're free 
and we can be more creative more creative and more powerful we can get this really affordable in inverted commas uh, package which is a book published by ourselves and then it'll just get magically put out in the world by social media you know we just have to upload it on social media do an advert for it on social media and boom the whole thing is all automated and it'll all happen by itself of course that doesn't happen it means that we spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours online trying to get people to see a thing that they can't see because the algorithms don't allow it and and that's just a metaphor for everything around a much lower quality product which ultimately I'm not valuing because I know it doesn't it didn't cost that much and I know that I'm creating a transactional relationship with my creative work where I'm creating an inferior copy of a thing that I would never create an inferior painting or a badly painted painting that I wasn't really happy with and put it out in the world I would never do that so why am I doing it with my writing why am I doing it with my hand writing and my hand drawing like why am I putting it into this cheap cheapened form which isn't using the best of the technology, making the best of it, and isn't using the technology to its greatest potential. And of course, it's hard to make it work to its greatest potential because it's in a, you know, I'm doing a cold relationship with the the factory who are printing it in Canada or whatever. It's a cold relationship, so I don't get to be co-creating with them. I'm, I just get to fit my stuff into their format, into their... Um, you know, I'm, I'm given the option of like three different kinds of paper. One's more expensive than the other. So we have to choose the cheap one, you know, three different kinds of quality for the for the image, whether or not I want Im images to be colour throughout. You know, I'm given all these options, but really it's very different from the nuance of standing in the publisher's printing room or in the, in the printing sh place and talking face to face with the person about how to actually get the quality of the colour and get the illustrations or get the images exactly how we want them. So, yeah, these conversations that have been unfolding through our co-creation sessions, which are online every Thursday, there's links on my website, there's links on our Hive art page, art community on the hive.blog. Um, again, see my website, clairegaiasophia or clairegalloway.com or livingingift.com all the same website Claire Gaia Sophia and I've got all kinds of information there about about how to join our co-creation sessions or you can contact me there but in our co-creation sessions we've all really been taking apart like what our creative blocks are what our intellectual blocks are and this whole discussion around books in recent weeks has just been amazing I've been, I actually got all my books out. Well, I've got most of them that I've got access to. And it's a nice little stack of books. And, and the ones that I did, that I got printed more recently, just before this one got stolen by Amazon, which actually happened quite a few years ago. And I, I got angry about it then, went through the processes then, was rejected by the processes and told that they couldn't do anything about it. And then I couldn't, I didn't have the energy to fight with them at that time. I was just so angry about it picked it up again like five years later now or maybe maybe six or seven years later and went through the whole process again much more level-headed but lost even more energy to it I had more energy to give this time but still wasn't making any progress you know as a highly intelligent person 
very capable of filling in forms, very capable of communicating what I know about law, copyright law, copyright, creative ownership, and telling them that they're doing something wrong. All of that didn't make any difference. None of that had any power within their system because I, I was doing it on their terms. And of course, their terms are presuming that we're all just little passive, malleable citizens, and, and I am not. So going through that process this time, um, I was e really able to use it as like a springboard into like, what is it about that that stopped me from doing my books? What is it about that? You know, if I had taken a different route at that time, what would have happened? And I realised that like I've been using my own creative power to lock myself down in all these different ways, but particularly around communicating directly and freely, consciously and generously with the world through writing, through books, through presenting something in a format. And that in turn has helped, uh, sorry, finish that sentence, uh, presenting something in a format that is, that is somebody can receive that can be delivered to somebody that can be sold even to an audience or gifted or um, somehow transmitted to them, not necessarily in physical form, might be in digital form even, but still they will get this meaningful object. And I think for myself, I, I had this massive insight into how the technology, I, I completely consented to the technology uh, what's the word like um juxtaposing no even masquerading as my friend and masquerading as the thing that's going to like that I can lean on like a crutch that uh like this extra machine that I need in my house that is going to help my kitchen work really well uh you know like it's this domestic assistant that is going to liberate me to create more that's the mythology of it. And I realise how heavily I had fallen into that and how, as a result, I'd, I'd lost something about the vitality of what I was creating, about my, the, the originality of my voice. And this loss of energy to wrestling and wrestling and wrestling with the, the formats, wrestling with the... Uh, what's the name for the thing? The a format or a um, template. Wrestling with templates, wrestling with systems, wrestling with online profiles and memberships and rules and regulations and protocols. Bringing it back to the originality of what it really is, of my voice, my living voice, transmitted through my hands into written language by hand, transmitted into brushstrokes, transmitted by voice like I'm doing now. You know, where is, where does it flow most easily? And it flows most easily through speaking. But where do I want to organise it more? I want to organise it more in possibly page form or chapter form or podcast form or voice file form. And then how can I present that in a in a container like a womb, a container like a ship, a container that is going to float out into the world that will travel well? 
a container that will adequately hold the shape of something that it will feel original, well-made, well-nurtured, well-cared for, and it can be, it can go the distance, it can go out into the world in that shape. Um, yeah, I feel really rejuvenated and excited about looking back at my books, even looking back at half-finished books, which were very close to be finishing, and what was I trying to do in them. I've also had such a a change in my approach in recent years because of recognising that mythology of where our power and attention and energy go in believing that the system is there to help us and it's there to ultimately empower us. I, I've had such a, a change in how I'm feeling about that and how I, how I know what's really happening behind the scenes in that. And as such, I don't want to be the one one of the ones who's hooking people into the hierarchy. I genuinely want to inspire, liberate and heal through my work to open minds and hearts and spirits and energy, consciousness, physical vitality. I want to help unblock folk and I want to help bring these solutions of more direct expression of our truth within us in the world in natural rhythms and systems and not formats because it wouldn't be format each format would be completely unique so yeah deconstructing the book and thinking of like I could make a book on a USB stick, I could make it as a series of podcasts. That could be, I could tell my story of coming to Guardia in a series of voice messages. I could put it not in a stale, not get it printed in another country and get it presented in a template of this or that cheap paper covered box. I could make it I could paint the USB stick, I could buy the USB stick and get the basic a set of USB sticks, upload the books onto them, one on each thing stick, have an introductory video on there. I could do a living spontaneous video for, for each individual customer. I could do a handwritten message inside the box that I present it in. I have great skills in box making and book binding and um, like packaging which I love also creating I've got a huge access to a huge amount of cardboard and things that um, could be made into boxes that's not a problem recycle card all over the place here <clears throat> And I could create something that's completely unique, a painted box, uh, a completely unique work of art that would be a, a whole additional layer on the thing. Like I'm not, I'm not creating, if I was making that, I'm not creating through the format of technology. I'm creating using, actually using it as a tool to carry what I genuinely want to share and I think that's a really different thing than fitting into the template, the format, 
the the prescribed form, the pre-gurgitated form, <laughs> the pre-formatted form. That's a that's always going to be a, a limitation because it's never going to fit everybody. It's never going to fully fit exactly what we want to express. It's never going to have the quality of touch where we've actually touched it with our hands. And that's a whole other level of transmission that we can put out in the world. Of course, ultimately, the, the formatting and the templating are this thing that allows a thing to be reproduced for millions of people, ultimately. But that presumption that we are getting hooked into that and like, oh, we can upscale, you know, we can we can upgrade into a higher print run when we sell out all the first print run, you know, that hook of being consumers of things that are going to be consumed by other people. Again, it's such a... I'm not saying this is like a a disillusioned self-publisher that I'm just angry I didn't print enough, I, I didn't sell enough books. I'm saying it from, you know, more than three and a half decades of working as a, not even an artisan producer, but a completely independent visionary artist, completely immersed in their art for more than three and a half decades. And I am absolutely clear, absolutely crystal clear that the art is lost through the manufacturer. That's just a fact. The art is always lost through the manufacturer because the modern manufacturing tools are such a diminishment from what they were in the old days when there was the old school printing press. The technology is not creating higher quality items of art. That's for sure. That's just a fact. And I'm not even going to get into AI and AI art and in inverted commas. That's just the, the pure reversal of what art is and the absolute reversal of what the human hand is meant to be doing. It's not meant to be pressing a button. It's not meant to be passively creating. It's meant to be actively creating. And again, this whole thing of... Um, what it is to put the voice out in the world or the identity out in the world, the living identity, you know, that's the whole point of art. That's what art always was. It was this unique, you know, somebody with unique brush strokes putting their particular colours, compositions, style, approach, size of canvas, etc., out in the world. They were still doing it within a very tight system, you know, within square frames within gold frames often was the the ornate gold frame was the old school thing but we're being given this illusion of choice and it's again like this supermarket thing that I often refer to like the hypermarket where there's like 500 kinds of absolutely crap bread there might be one artisan bread but even that's created by a really big factory that's making bread and it nobody's hands have actually touched the bread and that's seen as a benefit, the benefit of the masses of choice. But there's no one good choice out of all of that. The choices have been saturated down, not no, diluted down, sorry, not saturated, diluted down. And the saturation of the hand touched is seen, even as seen as something that's like 
it's not even health and safety, you know, that the handmade is somehow contaminating. You don't you don't want someone's physical hands touching a thing when and you know you've got to have rubber gloves on, you've got to do this when you're touching food. Fuck that. Fuck that. That's exactly what we have to get back to. That's exactly the contamination we want. Contamination, the word contaminazione in Italian actually means the influence, you know, influenza as well. The whole thing about what influence is, what influenza is, what being exposed is, what our immune systems are. They're how we intimately communicate with everything and everyone. This whole thing of how, oh, but this is really dangerous and that's really poisonous and, oh, you shouldn't expose yourself and what if you get this and what if you get that. When... If you argue with a person who's thinking like that and worried about germs and so on, worried about contamination, you argue just from like two or three points down the argument. Yeah, but a healthy person, I'm healthy, I get exposed, it makes my immune system stronger. The whole thing is so obviously based on such a shugly hook, it's based on such a loose foundation that it simply is not true. And I, I feel that that thing too, like the, the foundation that all this printing on demand, cheap copies of books that we want to be something different. You know, we want something to be heavy print, uh, heavy pages, cotton, recycled paper, big, lovely textured paper. We want the the line of the pen drawn into the page you know, we want the tangibility of it. We want it to be touched by our hands. We want it to be hand signed. Like that's the the main thing that people want when they buy a book directly from the author. They want it hand signed, hand something written inside it. But why shouldn't it be, you know, why shouldn't we create really valuable books that are personal and touched by hand too? I don't have a definite plan for what I'm going to do with my books, but I do know that I will be writing my story or speaking my story and I'm finding a beautiful format in which it can be digitalized but it'll still keep its character still keep its power and I'm also really working at how I keep that concentration like that I don't lose the focus of it that I don't get lured into oh get hundreds of books printed by us and you could get this massive profit margin and da 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 and you could be a rich published self-published author fuck that you know that's I don't want to be a rich self-published anything I don't want to be a rich anything I am rich I am inherently rich I'm you cannot say that I'm not rich my life is utterly utterly enriched on every level like there's no area of my life in which there isn't enrichment and that isn't that can't be said for rich people necessarily it can't be said that because they have more than one car. How many cars can you drive at once? One. How can having two cars be more satisfying than having one car? That's just ridiculous. It can only be satisfying if we're so contrived in our thinking that we think that we have to change the colour of our car or have a different car for a different occasion. That's just it's just patently ridiculous. Anyway, um, I wonder too about how many books we have to put out in the world. What if we just put out one book? What if we just put out one handwritten book and then it got passed around by everybody and it was a public book? Maybe it gets put in a library or put in a public place where everyone can come and read it. You know, I think of a book that's really beautiful in 
in the middle of a town like there is a book here in Guardia which was like a book about the town that was written I don't know in like flipping 1100s or something I can't remember how old it is it might be I don't know might be 1700s or something I'm not very good with um, dates and times but it's a very very old book you know it's the kind of thing that should be under glass and only touched with gloves kind of thing if it was properly cared for but I've seen it out and open and I've seen how it's got like drawings of the fields and drawings of the trees around the edges of the fields to show which field it is because it has these trees around the edges of it not a conceptual map not an abstract view from above delineated lines but somebody has been down in that field and looked directly probably with that bit of paper in their lap looked directly at those trees because they didn't have a, a camera they know that field and they're painting the trees as they are or they're at least conceptualizing they remember you know there's an oak tree and then there's a couple of willows at the top of the field and then there's like an open part and then down the bottom there a wee river runs by it you know they've got an actual physical knowledge of having been there and that stuff is interesting and powerful and factual and real and beautiful the hand drawn the hand painted <clears throat> the conceptualization of of the tree but the hand painting of it the first time I ever saw a painting in an art gallery when I went to the mainland and went to like a big old famous painting and saw a pre-Raphaelite painting saw a Vincent van Gogh painting I was so moved emotionally like a huge waves of emotion came up through me and I cried and cried and was so overwhelmed emotionally and I was embarrassed as a teenager to have that feeling come up through me but had the same feeling over the years I don't go to galleries often and I rarely go to a gallery I practically never go to an art gallery now but I over the years I've gone to galleries more and more just to see a specific artist that I absolutely adore like Frida Kahlo and um, George O'Keefe and um, yeah some other dudes but uh, the the Prince Horn collection um, and I've had that same wave of energy come up through me and it's not a superficial titillation or even a temporary feeling that flares up through seeing something superficial it's the knowing that that brushstroke was put down by Vincent van Gogh himself that brushstroke was put down by Frida Kahlo, Kahlo herself and nothing is between me and it, nothing. It's travelled through the ages and it's travelled through across countries and it's here in front of me in my eyes in the Kelvin Grove Museum or in some museum in London or Rome and I'm looking at it, it's right in front of my eyes and there's nothing between me and her, nothing between me and her. That's her brushstroke, it was her brush, her hand her feeling, her expression was there, her choice of colour, the pigments under her fingers. She might have just used her finger to rub the edge of the paint here. She might have used her finger, her actual direct touch on the canvas. She would have picked up the canvas with her hands. She would have tightened the bolts on the cavaletto, the easel. But that, seeing something that she touched, you know, like going to Rembrandt's house, seeing something that they touched, there's a direct transmission in that. And that's the thing that's lost more and more and more and more and more. 
the further we go down the automation, the printing of words rather than the writing of them, or the writing of them rather than the speaking of them, the printing of them rather than the writing of them takes away from the power of the word because the word isn't just the intellectual disembodied word. When it is spoken from the truth, from the heart of the person, from the heart, when the hands move from the heart, they all have this power that is completely... The the contrived doesn't measure compared to it. The contrived can't touch it. The power to communicate, the power to transmit directly, which is the occulted power of the world, power of the cosmos. The occulted power of the cosmos is us as transmitter, is us as antenna. And... Again, we're not doing ourselves any favour by allowing ourselves to be pulled into machinery that ultimately is pumping out something at the other end that isn't transmitting. It might be transmitting in a diluted form, but it's not transmitting that cosmic touch, which for myself, I know I can transmit through paintings and colour and 35 plus years of working up my fluidity of visual language, my unique visual language, my completely uncopyable visual language. I know that that visual language has a different effect when it's in printed form. Even a really good quality print, life size, is going to be a very different thing than the actual painting itself. The amount of people who've seen my work online, seen it online, seen it online, eventually come to my studio and seen it and are like, whoa, your paintings in real life, wow, they're completely alive. And of course, that's the exact feeling when I saw a Vincent painting, when I saw a real Rembrandt, when I saw a real Constable, a real Carlo, Diego Rivera, Giorgio O'Keefe. You know, when I saw their actual hand, what they actually touched with their hands, it's a completely different thing. There's no way we can compare the same thing and when it comes to books and comes to how our words can then be interpreted when they're in type artistic uh, uh, sorry just forgetting the word um, criticism art criticism that the more we're separated from the actual intention of the artist the actual art of the artist the more we're convinced to accept the print version, the postcard, the the low quality print in the poster shop um, or the museum gift shop, the more we're convinced that that is a sufficient crumb instead of the real thing. We're losing our own creativity, we're losing our own art through that. That's That's the truth. That's the fact. So I'm feeling like I'm on this very new iteration of my journey and on, on, on my of my creative. It feels like a Saturn return of my creative power and the realisation that even though I was delegating to the system for a while, delegating to templates and to publishing companies, not publishing houses like the old school thing, but, you know, these cheap publishing companies in other countries. Um, even though I delegated for a while, 
I've suddenly got this massive insight into how I can create more directly and and no idea even what it might look like yet but in all the areas of my work in my painting in all the areas of my work in my painting in the story of how I came to Guardia San Fremondi in even my gardening and the fact that I don't own the land that I, I'm working. In my artist books, in my sewing and the clothes that I wear, just revisiting everything and taking myself out of the template and into the actual creative making and the cosmic transmission that is the hand and the handmade. So I'm really excited about what I'll be sharing next and how myself and other co-creators will be co-creating next. I have a, a strong sense that as each of us step out of the templates that are there, that are filtering the crumbs down to us from the hierarchy in exchange for our vital force, our cosmic attention and our infinite creative power. I feel like as we put the template down and pick up the paintbrush and start actually using our hands to express ourselves, using our vitality, as our vitality starts to express itself more fully, by definition that's what allows it to flow, like spirituality is a muscle. <laughs> And if we're, if we're not expressing our spirituality, if we're not expressing our truth, just like our, our health, if we're not expressing our vitality through our body and through symptoms, through our capacity to bring the body into equilibrium always, then all that energy is going somewhere else or it's staying stagnant. So the fact that we're moving it... The fact that we're using it makes more of it. And then it's not just this thing that we we get given crumbs that represent the thing. We actually live the thing. We actually are the thing, which is the cosmic co-creator, the divine co-creator. So I encourage you to listen to more of my podcasts if you enjoy this content. I'm really excited about what I'm going to create next, so do join me on the hive.blog at Claire Artista or check in at my website regularly to see what I'm sharing there. But I blog through the hive and share a lot there about the gardens, about what I'm making on that day. And support me through Patreon or the hive. If you would like to support my work, you can also find other ways through my website, ways of supporting me. I would love to have your support. That really helps things to flow well, having financial support. Not loads, just enough so that I can not have to grabble around for leaves and nuts and berries <laughs> and walk everywhere that I can actually fund a car. I've got my car back on the road this month, which is amazing. 
um, and every penny that comes to me, I can put into this vibrant co-creation and this returning of the gift, the constant gifting of the gift. Um, yeah, a living gift. I don't work transactionally for the major part. I don't use contracts or conventional agreements that are formatted. I have a living relationship with my special people, my audience, my supporters, and mostly one-on-one -on -one relationship with them, living relationship. So any support that I do receive goes towards nurturing that and sharing more. Um, look forward to sharing more. Blessings and love. Many, many blessings and much, much love. All good things.